all take a seat, and we have announcements. Good morning. <laughs> it's so odd. I look out here, and I think, I'm odd? Okay. I keep thinking, man, Alan and I need to shower more often. Nobody wants to sit up here. It's all <laughs> out there. Anyways, my name's Don. Welcome to Liberty Lake Church, and I uh, hope you had a good chance to serve the Lord this week, and uh, get your nose in your Bibles, and live for the King. Communication cards. We have them available, and the elders really, really want to know what's going on in our lives, and they do pray for us. Um, if it's easier for you, you can get on the website and fill one out electronically. And here's another advantage for parental units that have kids. High school camp starts tomorrow. Okay. I thought you guys would go, yay. <laughs> there you go. Good stuff. And just a side note, um, Julie's running the church. Pastor Shane is up at the camp, and he leads worship and music and some of that kind of stuff. So, ladies. You'll have to read on that because I'm not sure what they're up to. They're having an ice cream social, and uh, they kind of check you at the door to make sure you're not wearing a wig, you know, that kind of stuff. But most of us guys would love to go to an ice cream social. But it's August 23rd at 6.30, and here you go. Bring your favorite topping and a friend. It's not your favorite friend, but you can bring a friend, but bring your favorite topping. Yes, the toppings for the friend. Yeah. Surrounded by smart Alex. Very quickly, I just want to share um, something that is very unique in Scripture. You read your Bible. You read 1 Corinthians 13. Many places, love is a key ingredient. Love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. Our faith, God's grace. And this is, this is uh, very unique because it's so human. <clears throat> the Iberian proverb goes like this. If I die, I forgive you. If I live, we'll see. Don't live like that. Elise? That's kind of hard to follow. <laughs> Fall down. VBS is next week. We kick it off next Sunday during service. So things will look a lot different during service next week. Uh, so that kicks off. It will be after Sunday. It'll be Monday through Thursday, 6 to 8. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring your neighbors. Um, we'd love to see as many people as we can here. Um, if you took a button from the board off back and didn't jot down what that was, if you could come see me after service um, so we could take a look at that. We were still missing a few things. Um, it looks like someone took the button for the digital person and some Ziploc bags, so we're still looking for those. If not, maybe they just fell off. Um, after service today, we need all you strong fellas and ladies to help us move all of the chairs in the sanctuary back to the back corner uh, because, like I said, this will be set up completely different next Sunday for service. And that's it. Thank you. All right. You want to stand with us again, and we will continue singing. There were walls between us 
You're my. 
I'll take a seat. Kids are dismissed. You can follow your teachers down to your classes. Good morning. Uh, my name is Alan. It's a pleasure to be with you here this morning. Um, I, uh, like Don Anderson, who does the announcements, I, I volunteer here and I do stuff. Um, and one of the things I was asked to do is to fill in for Pastor Shane today because he's been at camp all week and will be at camp again this week and uh, that takes the load off of him. Uh, as many of you know, we've been going through the book of Jeremiah and looking at the word of God that was given to Jeremiah the prophet. Um, many uh, jokes have been made about how long it's going to take us to accomplish that, but we're going to accelerate a little bit this morning for a couple of reasons. Um, we're going to take on a potentially monumental task and attempt to look at three chapters altogether. Uh, Many people don't realize, but Jeremiah, the chapters are not all in chronological order like many other books of the Bible. Uh, these three chapters happen to be in chronological order, and therefore they fit together really well as a complete package, but they also set the stage for the next succeeding chapters, which will be 21 and onward. Today we're hoping to look at chapter 18, 19, and 20. What I want to do is what I kind of call a, a flyover. We're going to read the whole text together, and then we'll go back and examine some of the particularities of it. If you have your sermon notes, you'll see there that uh, I uh, have put the points there with words, words from various places, and words are significant. Uh, You've heard the saying, I'm sure a picture is worth a thousand words. Interestingly, that saying is attributed to an advertising agent who was promoting the, the jackets, the paper coatings that you put on books, and he was promoting pictures to entice people to buy the book, which is full of words. <laughs> But what we want to do today, we want to look at the words in God's book and see the pictures that he wants us to see of what he is like, what he is doing, what he will do, and what that means for us. Words can have lifelong, even eternal consequences. And the title you may notice of the sermon is Truth, Lies, and Consequences. Many of us know truth in contrast to lies. Uh, unfortunately, in the culture we live in, truth has become what many people call relative. If you talk to somebody and try to say there's absolute truth, there's something that's always true, 
they will say, well, no, truth is relative. Well, if you kind of cut through that, then you can ask them, is that absolutely true, that truth is relative? Or is it only relatively true? I mean, it doesn't make sense because when people live in the real world, they don't look at things and they don't experience things and they don't interact with one another relatively. They interact really. A simple example is if you're going to pull out onto the highway and you see a Greyhound bus going, coming towards you, you don't want to assume that that bus is not really there. It's only relatively there, so it won't bother you if you pull out in front of it. People don't operate that way. There are things that are true that are always true and always will be true. Consequences, sometimes we consider them, sometimes we don't. I looked up in the dictionary just for fun, and the simple definition of consequences is something produced by a cause or necessarily following from a set of conditions. Well, when you think of it in those terms, everything is a consequence, except God. Everything is produced by something else. It's caused by something else. It comes into being because of something else, except God. And God, philosophically, has been described as the uncaused cause. He's the ultimate cause of everything else, as the Bible teaches us. He calls himself, I am. He doesn't say, I was, or I will be. I am encompasses everything. He's timeless. He's always, I am. What's interesting throughout the text of Jeremiah is we see repeatedly the phrase, the Lord. The word of the Lord and the Lord, the God of Israel, and the various other supporting things that describe the Lord. And when you see the Lord with the Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, what that signifies is the name of God, which is the name we know as Yahweh or Jehovah. And simply that name means I am. It's the name that God declared to Moses at the burning bush. It's the name that he uses for himself most of the time. The interesting thing about that name is that's the same name that Jesus took for himself. Uh, those of you that have been in Tyler's John class, we went through some of this this past week in John chapter 8. If you're not coming in visiting Tyler's class, I encourage you to do so. But Jesus said in John 8, 24, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. That's a very profound statement for Jesus to make and a very strong claim. But the interesting part is, the correlation is, when we see the Lord declared in Jeremiah, it's the same name that Jesus takes. We're seeing Jesus 
involved in the activity of the Old Testament. And that's one of Tyler's constant reminders to us when we're looking at the text of Scripture. He says, if you're reading in the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus in the passage, he says, you're reading it wrong. Go back and read it again. Well, interestingly, just a side note here, uh, we just finished chapter 17 of Jeremiah last week. In chapter 17 of Jeremiah, the Lord is mentioned 14 times. That's not including the personal pronouns, I or he or him, specifically naming him. Chapter 18, we have the Lord seven times, but in chapter 18, we have the Lord speaking first person, I, 13 times. Chapter 19, we have the Lord seven times. We have I, uh, 11 times. Lord personally speaking, saying, I will, I am, I have done these things. Chapter 20, we have uh, the Lord ten times. And then we have I three significant times where the Lord says specific things that he will do. But in order to get the sense of all of what's going on here, we're going to read chapters 18, 19, and 20. It takes just a little bit over seven minutes, so please bear with me, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations, who has heard the like of this? The virgin Israel 
has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the words from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Hear, O Lord, and listen to the voice of my adversaries. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and laid snares for my feet. Yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in your time of anger. Thus says the Lord, Go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocents and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings, to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food 
to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters, and everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life will afflict them. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you, and shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth, because there will be no place else to bury. Thus will I do to this place, declares the Lord, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topheth. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah, all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all the hosts of heaven and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods, shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. Then Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. Now Pasher the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pasher, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give to all Judah, I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied falsely. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach, 
and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will, not be over, they will not overcome me. They will be greatly ashamed, or they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For you, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon. Because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Let's take a look at chapter 18, the words from the potter's house. Jeremiah is commanded by the Lord to go to the potter's house. And the Lord says, literally, I will cause you to hear my words. So Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. He's watching the potter work. Potter's working on a manual wheel. You can visualize what's happening. He's working the clay. Something happens. Perhaps he pushes a little too hard in one spot. The clay gets kind of thin, falls down. Perhaps there's an extra thick lump there, and it's, he's not able to make it do what he wants it to do. Whatever the case be, the potter perceives what he intends to do wasn't working. So he starts over and makes it what he wants, makes it, the clay do what he wants it to do. And of course, we see the Lord picking up on that and saying, can't I do with the nation of Israel like the potter does with the clay? Can't I mold the clay how I decide? Isaiah, in picking up on this analogy, mentions that woe to the pot who says to the potter, why did you make me like this? How come I don't have handles? How come I'm not different? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 does similarly. He says, who are you to talk back to the potter? Can't the potter make 
a, a pot for noble or you know visible use, like a, a vase, to put flowers in? Or can't he make a pot that is a toilet? I mean, that's the point Paul says in Romans. The potter gets to make out of the clay whatever he needs, whatever he chooses. What's interesting here is the Lord doesn't focus on the individuals. He focuses on his plan for the people. He says, can't I change my plan? In verse 11, he says um, to Jeremiah, Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you. When he says, I am shaping, he literally is saying, I am pottering. I'm working like a potter with these plans I have. But the point in the context is, which he goes on to say, I can change my plan. So he commands them, literally, return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. He's still giving them chance. He's giving them a hope. He's saying, these plans don't have to be carried out. I as the potter with the clay, can change the plan. And the outcome can be different. It's interesting, this word to potter or to shape, we see it at creation when the Lord God speaks everything into existence, but with Adam, he potters him into form. He shapes him and makes him very specifically. The point being, it's a hands-on operation. God doesn't just stand back and command Adam into existence. He doesn't just stand back with the people of Israel and say, I'm just going to let happen what happened. You guys figure it out. It's hands-on. If you've ever done any pottery or played with clay, even Play-Doh, it, it gets on your hands. It sticks with you. There's an effect. Well, God's hands-on involved with the people. But their response in verse 12 is remarkable, noticeable. But they say, that's vain. Literally, that's, that's hopeless. You're wasting your breath. We will follow our own plan. We've already made up our mind what we're going to do, so we don't really care what your plans are. Therefore, verse 13, the Lord says, go ask the Gentiles. Is anything like this ever happened before? And he gives them this title, the Virgin Israel. In the Old Testament, the significance of a virgin, well, New Testament as well, is an unmarried young woman. She's still to be married to a specific man. And in the case of Israel, in the Old Testament, we know Israel was intended to be married to God. She was to be the bride of God. And here she goes out and 
commits adultery, spiritual adultery, by devoting her affections to idols. Verse 15, the Lord goes on, he says, My people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. These gods make them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway. What happened to them? We would say they were sidetracked. They got off the path. They got off of God's way, and they were off somewhere trying to figure out what they wanted to do and who they wanted to be. When they had right before them God Almighty, who wanted to love them and wanted to have them be devoted to him as much as he was devoted to them. The question for us is, what do we get sidetracked by? What kind of idols affect us in our lives? How are we distracted or how are we saying or behaving in such a way as if to say, God, I've already made my plans, so I just want you to bless my plans, and then life will be good. I don't really want to do your plans for me. Verse 17, the Lord says, well, I'm going to, like the east wind, I'm just going to blow real strong, and I'm going to scatter these people. And when they start to feel these consequences of my plans because of their behavior, I'm just going to turn my back to them. I'm not going to listen to them. Now, it would be really awkward if I stood this way for the whole sermon. All of you out there would wonder if I really cared that you were there (laughs) or that you heard anything I had to say. And that's essentially what the Lord is saying. He's saying... You've made your choice. When you come screaming to me about the problems, I've warned you. I've told you it's going to happen, and you've had an opportunity to change and to come to me and turn from your evil ways and amend your ways and your deeds, and you won't do it. Jeremiah tells them this, and of course, then they respond again. Verse 18 Come on, let's, let's get Jeremiah. We've already got all these words from these other places. We have the law of Moses. We have the wisdom of Solomon. We have all kinds of prophets. We don't need to pay any attention to Jeremiah. We don't like what he's saying. We disagree. And so then Jeremiah prays this prayer of intercession or reminds the Lord of his intercession. He says, look, Lord, listen to them. Um, Should I get paid back this way? I've done good, and they're going to repay me with evil. I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. And then his prayer shifts to this, what's called in Scripture, an imprecatory prayer. He prays for bad things to happen. I I struggle to want to pray those kind of prayers because I know myself, 
the people I might want to pray those kind of prayers for are no worse than me. In fact, in some cases, they're probably better. And so I think, well, I don't want those things happening to me. But Jeremiah was in a unique position. He was called by God to this ministry. And it's not an easy ministry, there's no doubt, as we'll continue to see here. So the Lord comes with some more words. Words from point number two in our sermon notes here. Words from the place of fire. And I, I translated that for us to get our attention to what's happening here. The place is called Topheth. It is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is southwest of the primary city of Jerusalem at this time. And the Lord says it's outside of the Potsherd Gate, which is another nickname probably for what's also mentioned in Scripture as the, the Dung Gate. Um, what this place was is it was a place to dispose of things. It was the city dump, if you will. The broken pots, which obviously you would have quite a few of over time, rather than keeping them in your place of residence, you would get rid of them, just like we get rid of our trash today. And so outside of this gate were broken pots. But it was also the place where when the animals that traversed through the city would do their business, this would get cleaned up and it would be taken outside of this gate and dumped along with other things. And so it was a place of disposal. And so the Lord says to Jeremiah, go by this earthenware flask and take some elders of the people and some elders of the priests. We're talking religious people here. And take them to this place, and I will tell you what to say. So he goes, and then the Lord says, um, Behold, I am bringing such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Well, he says this place seven times. And he says this city three times. And then he goes to this people one time to emphasize very specifically this isn't just a general oh there's going to be a storm and everybody's going to be affected it's no it's going to affect very particularly this place this city this people and it's going to be so atrocious that it's going to affect everyone who hears about it because Verse 4, the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocents, with babies, and have built the high places, the high places being places of worship, of Baal, to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I didn't command, I didn't decree, it wasn't part of my plan, it wasn't in my mind, it, wasn't, it doesn't exhibit my heart, is literally what the Hebrew says. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called 
Topheth. Topheth means place of fire or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but it will be called the valley of slaughter. What's interesting about Topheth, this place of fire, is it's said that fires were constantly burning as they were seeking to burn up the trash. So you could go there at any time and there would be stuff burning. It's also interesting in the New Testament that in, in Greek, Henum is Gehenna, which is another name for hell. It's actually the most used word in the New Testament for hell. Not that this place was hell, but it's a picture of what hell is like. The fire is constantly burning. You can imagine it doesn't really probably smell real good. And the name is changed to going to be changed to the valley of slaughter because once all of these plans of the Lord for destruction start to come into play, there's going to be so many dead bodies, they won't have anywhere else to put them. It's also interesting to note that the 30 pieces of silver that Judas returned to the priests when he sort of felt remorse for having betrayed Jesus, the priests buy a parcel of land, the potter's field, which is in this valley near the Potsherd Gate. We don't know exactly where it is, but it's in this vicinity. And that place the, the becomes called the field of blood because it's a place to bury foreigners. All happens in this same vicinity. The interesting place about this is you can see from the valley of Hinnom, or the son of Hinnom, you can see the temple. It's about 500 feet higher up on Temple Mount, but you can see it. It's visible. And the contrast between what's supposed to take place in the temple and what has been taking place in this valley with them bringing their children there to burn them as a devotion to Baal and to the other god they would burn children for, which is Molech, which is mentioned other places in Jeremiah. This is all within sight of God's chosen temple. But in this place, the Lord promises what he's going to do, and then he says in verse 10 of chapter 19, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you, and shall say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm declaring from Lord God Almighty, today you are my son, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations and you will rule them with a rod of iron and you will break them like a potter's vessel. The intention would be that the Lord would rule the nations, the Gentiles, this way. But it's very sad to say he had to rule his own people the same way because they refused to listen to him.
Well, after giving them this picture and this message, chapter fourteen or chapter nineteen, verse fourteen, the Lord then sends Jeremiah to the temple. And he's in the temple and he's prophesying to the people in the temple the same message. Verse 15, thus, the Lord of, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. I've given them to them over and over and over. The consequence of rejection of truth is disaster. And as Jeremiah is proclaiming this message, Pasher, this priest, who's the chief officer, apparently the head of the temple guard at this time, something to that effect, he heard what Jeremiah was saying and he didn't like it. So he takes Jeremiah and he beats him, puts him in the stock, stock you know, in a, in a public place by this Benjamin gate where people would see him. And the people, of course, would assume, well, Jeremiah must have sent did something bad for this to happen to him. They don't really know. Maybe they heard him proclaiming these things. Maybe they assumed that he's been determined to be a traitor because of what he's teaching. Nonetheless, he's in the stocks all night. The next day when he gets released, Jeremiah says, Oh, Pasher, by the way, the Lord's going to change your name. Your name is going to be literally terror all around or terror everywhere. Wherever you go, whichever way you turn, you're going to be in terror. And he goes on to, de to declare to him what's going to happen to him. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. Wow, now that's really what I want. Everywhere I go, everybody's going to be afraid of me. Watch out for that guy. But that's what had been happening to Jeremiah. Everywhere Jeremiah went, people were like, stay away from Jeremiah. He's not telling us what we want to hear. Ignore him. Let's trap him. Let's get him. Let's get rid of him. And then this whole thing that the people are trying to pull on Jeremiah all of a sudden comes on this priest and all his friends. He says, I will give uh, well, your friends. First he says, your, all your friends, they shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. That's a bad deal. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. This is the first time in Jeremiah that it's identified that it'll be Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who's the one that's going to come and carry out God's plan of destruction. Now the people should have known this. The priests certainly should have known this. Isaiah had prophesied this over a hundred years before this time. But they ignored Isaiah and of course the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken into captivity by Assyria. So the people should have known this. But the Lord goes on and he says, uh, he will carry them captive to Babylon. The king of 
Babylon and he'll strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of this city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the king of Judah into the hand of their enemies who shall plunder them, they'll seize them, and they'll carry them off to Babylon. And you, Pasher, <laughs> you, terror all around, <laughs> and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity to Babylon and shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely, literally lied to. And to be buried outside of the land of Israel was considered a curse. And that's exactly what this priest and his whole family and virtually all the others who are going to be carried off to Babylon and buried there, that's what they get. Because they have believed lies and refused to believe the truth. Then we have this interesting prayer by Jeremiah. Verse 7 of chapter 20, the ESV translates it, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. What it sounds like he's saying is, Lord, you lied to me, and I believed your lies. What's interesting is, I'm not sure why the translation committee of the ESV or the NIV or the New American Standard Bible or others focused on this aspect of this Hebrew word. This Hebrew word is much broader than deception. Just so you know, I looked it up in my Hebrew dictionary and I copied down a portion of the definition. At its base level, it means to open, to be or to make roomy. Now you think about somebody who's open. In the case of Jeremiah, what's happened with him? God said, I'm giving you a job to do, and you're going to be open to all the people. They are all going to have access to you. They're going to hear what you say, and they're going to respond. Part of the definition goes on, says, to be or to make simple. Well, the message of Jeremiah is very simple. Believe God. And he will bless you. Ignore God, and he will curse you. It's not an easy message, and it's not a popular message, but it's a simple message. The definition goes on. It says, in a sinister way, this word could mean to delude or to deceive. Now, was God sinister? When he called Jeremiah, did he hide anything from Jeremiah? Well, if you go to chapter 1 of Jeremiah and reread it, the Lord is very specific with Jeremiah. He is very forceful with him. We think of Jeremiah being commissioned to this position, but literally, really was conscripted. Conscript something is to mean to bring it in to be, bring somebody to a duty by compulsion. 
And that's what the Lord did. Jeremiah protested. He said, I'm just a kid. I don't know what to say. And God said, well, I'll give you the words to say, and you're going to say them. And you're going to tell everybody what I want you to say. And it won't be easy. But twice he reminds him, but I will be with you to deliver you. So he wasn't deceptive with Jeremiah. But part of the other aspect of this word is you could use it to allure or to entice, to flatter. And it's interesting, part of the end of this definition has to do with the person or persons being considered a silly one. And if you read this context here of Jeremiah's prayer, that's kind of the boat that he fits into. Verse 7 could just as readily mean and read, O Lord, you have persuaded me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock. I look silly to these people. Everybody mocks me. I'm doing what you told me to do, to cry out and shout violence and destruction. But the word of the Lord has become a reproach and a derision. People make fun of me because of this word. And if I try it out to mention it, I can't help it. It's in there. I can't hold it in. I have to do it. And that's what the Lord told him. I'm going to give you the words to say, and you will say them. Verse 10, he says, well, I hear whispering behind me. Terror is on every side. Like they're making fun of Jeremiah over the name that he said the Lord gave to the priest. Well, we'll poke him with that. Okay, well, it's the truth. And then they say, denounce him, denounce him. Say, all my close friends, they're watching for my fall. They want me to be in trouble. And one of the translations, the next where it says, perhaps he will be deceived, which is the words of his friends, translates that word lured. Perhaps he'll be lured into our traps. And verse 18.22 talks about snares being laid for Jeremiah. And he mentions a pit being dug for him in chapter 18. Well, actually, they did dig a pit. And he actually gets thrown into it. And you'll find out later in Jeremiah that that's not a fun experience for him. But he goes on and he says, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutor persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor, there will be eternal repercussions for what they're doing. It will never be forgotten. There's a consequence for rejecting the word of the Lord. Verse 13, he sings a praise to the Lord, and then he kind of goes into this funk. He says, you know, the day I was born, I, I wish that day never happened. I wish I didn't have this job. He goes on through this process. In verse 18, he says, why did I come out from the womb to experience this? Can't, could I just go back and not come out at all? Lord, can you make birth control retroactive so I don't come 
And B, I don't like this. A question for us is the same question. Why are we here? Why are you here? Why am I here? Is it for my plans that I can beg God to bless my plans? Or am I here for something else? My spiritual mother used to say, we are not here to just take up space and eat groceries. And yet, if someone were to examine our lives closely, would there be more to see than that? Maybe. We're going to look briefly at words from the Son of God in John chapter 8. They're pretty self-explanatory, but these words will lead us into uh, the Lord's Supper from here. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Well, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. It's interesting to take note that Jesus is in the temple 
speaking these words. It's in exactly the same location that Jeremiah was in when he was prophesying to the people. Different temple. The temple Jeremiah was in was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the invading armies of Babylon. The temple Jesus is in was rebuilt by Herod, was still in actually under construction. But interestingly, because of the same reason, within about 40 years of Jesus speaking these words, the temple he's in was destroyed by the invading armies of Rome and has never been rebuilt to this day. Lies have eternal consequences. And truth has eternal consequences. Jesus says, I am telling you the truth, and you refuse to hear it. You will hear all the lies in the world, but you refuse to hear the truth. What lies are we believing? Or do we try to mix the lies with the truth so we kind of have a balance. The question for us to ask ourselves every day is, will I die believing the lies or will I die believing the truth? Father and our God, we thank you for being a God of truth. You have revealed yourself truthfully, openly, specifically. And in this text in Jeremiah and these words from the Lord Jesus Christ are very, very specific. The truth is essential and the truth will set us free. Free to be who you created us to be. Be who you have pottered us to be. You formed us to be your creatures who will worship you and glorify you and honor you. So often we want to jump off the potter's wheel and go off and be something less. I just pray for each of us here and everyone who may listen through the internet or other ways that we would truly consider who you are as the sovereign God, the potter, who is willing to change the clay, to change the plan, to give us opportunity to repent, to seek forgiveness and wholeness and restoration in relationship with you that we can get nowhere else. We thank you and praise you for giving us opportunity to hear your truth, we pray that you would give us the power, the willingness to believe you and to obey you and to live for you and love you as you have loved us in sending your Son on our behalf. We thank you and praise you for that marvelous truth. We thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of it now in the celebration of the Lord's Supper and the participation together as your people in this community that we belong to through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in our remembering Jesus and his life and his death, his resurrection and his ascension and his
place in glory now interceding for us. Coming someday to take us to belong to Him, to join with Him, and to celebrate forever all that He is and all that He's done. Oh God, we thank You and praise You for that hope, that assurance, and the reality of these truths. Strengthen us to believe them, to live by them, to be prepared to die with them, knowing that on the other side of death is the entrance into glory. We just pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have three different stations, two up here, one in the back to get the elements for Lord's Supper. Uh, as you feel prepared, make your way and get those, and then we will partake with them all together, taking a look at the, the word of the Lord regarding the Lord's Supper and its blessing for us. So feel free to go at any time. look at for the Lord's Supper Apostle Paul is relating to the Corinthian believers 11 verse 23 he says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let us remember the Lord Jesus Christ.
in the same context, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. The significance of this remembrance is in order for Jesus to die, he had to live. And his life is a significant life for us because apart from his perfect sinless life, we would have no hope of joining him in his resurrection, his, in his ascension, because we would have no righteousness apart from his. For he lived a perfect sinless life in the place that we could not. And because of him, we can be set free by that truth and by his love for us. Let us join together in celebrating that, not only right now, but for the rest of our lives. You want to stand with us as we close? To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son.
his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Have a good week. Oh, yes, please stay if you are strong and move chairs to the back. <laughs>